Evil to the right hand, puts her down. He's going to dump him hard to the ice. Brady Leopold just loves to fight. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. My dream of being a professional hockey player became a reality, but it was all taken away from me in a very short period of time. For many years, hockey was my outlet. Hockey was my drug. When I had a stick in my hand, nothing else mattered. I was able to break into the Western Hockey League in 2004, and I even won the Swift Current Broncos Rookie of the Year. During the summer of my rookie year, I experimented with drugs for the first time. After just seven games in my sophomore season, I walked away from the Swift Current Broncos due to personal reasons. Nobody knew I had been sexually abused at the age of five. I did everything to hide it from everybody, but I just couldn't take it. Drugs and alcohol now took over my life. I did return to the Swift Current Broncos as a 19-year-old, but things were never the same. I was eventually traded to the Kelowna Rockets in my final year of junior where I got to play on a line with the Dallas Stars captain, Jamie Benn, and one of my best friends, the extremely talented Colin Long. It was by far my best season ever, and I even signed with the Tampa Bay Lightning's organization. A dream come true, right? That's when everything went wrong. First it was the cocaine, then came the Oxycontin, and that led me into a 12-year journey into the deepest pits of hell. Within two years, I had now made the switch to heroin, fentanyl, and everything in between, and I was now an intravenous drug user. Multiple suicide attempts and over five trips to the psych ward, I was a shadow of who I once was. By 2014, I was homeless on Hastings in Vancouver, the worst street in North America. By 2015, I was a wanted criminal, making the Crime Stopper headlines more than once. After spending three years in jail, I had completely given up. With nowhere to turn and nowhere to go, I finally started to get honest. I took a chance and made some major changes. This is my story. I overdosed over 10 times. I'm one of the lucky ones. And for that, I will always be grateful. This is for all the men and women we've lost. Matthew Lazinski, Mitch Fadden, this one's for you. My name's Brady Liebold, and I've been to hell and back. This is the road to recovery. What is going on? Welcome to Hockey to Hell and Back episode number 100. Thank you to everybody, especially if you've had to sit through that intro video or listen to it if you're listening to the audio a hundred times. My apologies. I'm working on getting a new one made. We'll get there. Stick with me. We will get there. Thank you so much to everyone who supported Hockey to Heroin, The Road to Recovery for 74 shows. And now we've done, we 
will have completed 100 shows of Hockey to Hell and Back after we bring in legend Ted Nolan. But a couple things I just want to say thank you to everyone who continues to support Puck Support. This show is proudly brought to you by Puck Support, PuckSupport.com, at Puck Support on Instagram, and the wonderful people at True Temper Hockey. They've been so great to me, so great to Puck Support. Shout out to everyone over at True Hockey. Uh, without them, I probably wouldn't even have gear to be on the ice or rollerblading. So thank you to everyone at True Hockey. Get yourself in some true gear. Play true. Take what's yours. That's their new slogan. They got new sticks, new skates, and all sorts of stuff coming out that I've had an opportunity to see. Can't wait for all of you guys to see it as well. We're going to quickly hear from Regan Bartell and Team Issued, and we'll be back with Ted Nolan. And after Ted Nolan, my dad's going to pop by the show to say hi to bring in episode 100. If you've watched the show, of course, you've seen my dad on multiple occasions. Quick message from Regan Bartell, and we'll be back with legend Ted Nolan. Hi there, it's Regan Bartell, the play-by-play voice of the Kelowna Rockets, Brady Leovold's biggest fan. Team Issued is connecting all walks of life. Team Issued does this by recreating that special feeling of being a part of something bigger. A community for all striving towards the same goal. Teamissued.ca, promo code TOEDRAG15 for 15% off. I apologize if I'm getting some comments here that there's some feedback coming in. Maybe the music was too loud. That's coming from Susan Cook upstairs. If anyone's watching uh, live, let me know uh, before I bring in Ted. But I'm super pumped for this episode. Quick backstory. I was up in North Bay, I want to say maybe two months ago, and I was in a rink watching Carter Buckman and the North Bay AAA Trappers and a couple of the other young kids there in the in the finals. And as I was about to walk out of the rink, Blair Carter's dad goes, hey, I think uh, I think Ted Nolan and his sons are over there. I'm like, where? Where? And I might, you know, there would have been a time in my life not too long ago where I probably would have just put my head down and walked out the door. But that was, uh, that was an opportunity that I was not going to pass up. Uh, this is somebody that I really looked up to as a kid and, Always wondered kind of what happened to Ted Nolan. There's a picture I fanned right out. I don't often do this, but I fanned right out. There's a picture of me and Ted. So without further ado, let's bring him in. This is why you guys are here. The pride of Garden River, Ontario. My buddy, Ted Nolan. How you doing, Brady? There he is. Thanks. Uh, I, I tell you, watching that intro, I'm a, I'm a fan of yours now too, boy. See what you had to fight through and, and where you are today. Uh, big hats off to you. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much. Um, it means a lot, certainly coming from you as somebody else who's literally had to, to fight and claw their way for every inch in their life. And I would love to, uh, to take it back to those early days in Garden River. Um, you know, I've done a, a quite a bit of research and your story uh, is so inspiring right from day one, making those backyard rinks, wearing skates that are two or three sizes too big. Tell us a little bit about your upbringing in Garden River. Well, you know, it's uh... I, I tell the story because it, it's uh, the love of the game that really got a hold of me and uh, not having the, the funds or the means to, to join a, a city league. The best, uh, next best thing was, was make your own. So I, I made a, uh, my journey started with a pail of water. I, I grabbed, I, we didn't have indoor plumbing, so I couldn't water a rink. I had to pump it one, one pail at a time and made a rink about 20, 20 feet by 30 feet. And, uh, and that's where I learned, uh, learned how to play. And I just, I absolutely just fell in love with it. But growing up in Garden River was, uh, you know, it was, it was trying and it wasn't, uh, 
uh, lollipops and uh, Walt Disney was kind of uh, tough at times, you know, wake, waking up in the middle of the night where the wood stove, uh, uh, somebody forgot to put, as the old saying goes, another log in the fire. Uh, fire goes out and the house is very cold. And then uh, some mornings you, you wake up and there's there's not too much food to to eat. So it was uh, it was trying, but uh, sitting here, uh, I wouldn't change it for for anything because I, I think it made me who I am today. One hundred percent, and and I could agree more with you. And I often say the same things about some of the stuff that I've had to go on, go through. And as hard as it was at times, and I mean, it made me and got me to to where I am today. Uh, you had quite quite the family too. Eleven brothers and sisters. You were the third youngest. It was busy times up there in Garden River. Yeah, busy times. And I said, you know, I I still, you know, looking back and you you think about all your childhood friends and. Uh, geez, my friends were my brothers and sisters because there's so many of us. And uh, then all of a sudden, the, the older ones had kids that, you know, my nephews and nieces are maybe two to three years younger than I am. So we kind of grew up in a, in a, in a close knit, uh, knit family. So uh, I had everything right there in, in, our, in our household. Uh, we had family, we had, uh, we had friends within the family. And uh, uh, so that, that was my, my life. Yeah, and I, I heard you say uh, in an interview or in, in one of the clips that I saw was that you didn't necessarily realize how tough the conditions were at times just based off the love that you were receiving from your family and, and sort of just having, you know, not having a greater understanding of maybe what it was like out there. But tell me a little bit about uh, coming up through hockey. Obviously, you have that love for the game and now you move away. You go to Kenora, Ontario. And much like yourself, when I went to junior, it was uh, I don't want to compare stories by any means, but I went through uh, some bullying, some hazing. And I heard you say you go from loving the game to surviving the game. So tell us a little bit about your experience just moving away from home and, and what you had to endure and how you pushed through it, because there was an opportunity for you to actually leave with your brothers and you decided to stay. And, and obviously that paved the way for you uh, quite quite well for you anyways, Ted. So tell us a little bit about that, if you don't mind. Well, it, it, everyone's heard about the stories about the, the residential schools now. And and uh, uh, we, we had a thing called day schools, so we didn't have to go and, and sleep overnight. But the day schools were probably just as, as bad as they were. But we had a chance to come home at nighttime. And uh, so having your family around meant so much. I mean, that that was that was your your safety blanket. You know, maybe if we didn't have the proper blankets, we put winter coats on our bed sometimes in the, in the middle of wintertime because it got so cold. But our, our family was our, our blanket. And then here I was, you know, 15, 16 years old, uh, just just a little loving to play I, I didn't uh i didn't pair put a pair of skates on like a lot of kids now they grow up thinking that they're going to be the next nhl player we didn't have a tv so i didn't even know what the nhl was i, I just knew that i just knew the game of hockey and I, and I loved to play it and then uh, someone wants to see me play somewhere and asked me to try out for the sault ste marie greyhounds uh, in the ontario hockey league which was a major step from basically house league hockey to uh, major junior uh, obviously i didn't make the team and they asked me to go to a place in the Manitoba Junior League, which was based in Ontario, in Kenora, Ontario. And, and uh, tell you the truth, Brady, it was just uh, when somebody asked me that, it was kind of like taking me to Disney World. I was going to go somewhere to play hockey and and uh, um, something that I, I really enjoyed to play and somebody wanted me to, to, to play. And I went there. It was uh, uh, the biggest rude awakening I've, I've ever uh, received in my life because when, when you're around family and, and friends and love and support not we didn't have the material things but we had all the other most important things in yeah. life and all of a sudden go there you, you that was gone 
and I went to my first practice. Uh, a big guy on a team kind of speared me in the back of the legs and, and said, what are you doing here, you wahoo? And I was only about 160 pounds, 170 pounds at the time. And I wasn't very big. Um, uh, and it, it hurt. And all of a sudden, we turned around and uh, we, we fought. And then a couple of days later, I fought again. And, and, and this is only in practice before we even try to make the team. Um, and I, 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 hockey really changed for me at that moment. It, it just kind of, I didn't want to play anymore. I, mm-hmm. And so I went, to, I went to practice. And one practice, I actually didn't try very hard. Uh, uh, so maybe the coach would see I wasn't very good and send me home. But he, he saw right through it, and he, we talked a little bit, and then um, I, I competed. And, and my brothers came to town, as you mentioned, to watch me play because by then we didn't have a, a phone to call home and say. And my my father just passed away that that year before, so it, it was even more tough uh, to to leave home. And my two brothers came to town. Uh, reading the letters I, I sent home, not really liking where I was, not really liking hockey anymore. And uh, right after the game, exhibition game, they, they asked me to hop in a car and go home with them. And uh, as much as I missed home, as much as I, I didn't like Kenora at all, uh, I didn't like the teammates, I didn't like hockey anymore, uh, something inside me just kept uh, repeating from the things I heard when I was a kid. Uh, people told us we, we weren't good enough. We... we we're not talented enough. We're not smart enough. We're not, we're not rich enough. Uh, go back on welfare. All those type of things that uh, uh, you, you heard going through school and going into the city. Uh, those things just kind of really resonated with myself and said, you know, you're not chasing me away. And as much as it hurt to, to tell my brothers I wasn't going home, it hurt even more to stay. But, but, I, but I managed to stay and the and, uh, rest is history, they, they say. I, I love the story and the perseverance, and I'm I'm not the type of guy these days, anyways, that likes to to you know play on stories. Well, what if or you know what if you didn't stay? But have you? I I just curious if you've ever wondered maybe what your life looks like if you decide to get in the car with your brothers that day. You know, I I would have been uh, saved me the long uh, turmoil turmoil of the game uh, because as as I mentioned, I I. I fell out of love with the game at that point. I didn't like to play anymore. I didn't want to go to, to training camp, but the natural instinct of me to prove that I could overrode my uh, desire not to uh, not to play. So I just kind of went through it. And what I would be doing now, I'd probably have about, uh, I'd be marrying someone from 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 garden. I have a whole whack of kids like my parents did. And uh, uh, maybe I, I always wanted to be a police officer. Okay. Um, I would have been a, a constable on the reserve or, or ran for chief, uh, you know, who knows. But I, I certainly uh, knew the importance of, uh, of going to school and, and getting a job for yourself because that's one thing my father really instilled in me when I was a young boy that don't take anything. Uh, and I think that's why the welfare, uh, get back on the welfare line, you, you stinking wahoo. And that's why it hurts so much. Um, uh, because some people had no other means to to uh, make a living, and and my father always told me to make sure I, I went to school and try to get yourself a good job and and uh, uh, buy your own things and 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 uh, be self-supportive. And, and and I'll tell you a funny story because when I went to Kenora, uh, uh, the guy gave me a, a stick when I first got there, and I, I said no, I I got I got my own. And uh, I kept the stick that I, I brought. And then uh, a couple of days later, he asked me again and said, hey, uh, there's a stick here. You want a stick? I said, no, I don't want to. Because to me, it was welfare. 
I didn't want someone giving me something that I didn't earn. And yeah. he finally said to me, so no, no, we, we supply all the players with sticks. Everybody gets them. So I, I took a stick. <laughs> that's a it's a great story but it's also it's it's troubling to hear kind of where a young man's mindset was at uh based on your your experience um in and around the dressing room and in the city you mentioned um I just kind of also wondering ted uh people maybe that you were friends with in and around the same age as you that didn't go off and play hockey did you see a lot um of struggle like did you know a lot of people that maybe um you found could have found yourself winding up in the same trap. And before you answer, I, I do know, I am familiar with the story with your uncle as well. Um, when you were eight years old, you know, seeing him go through uh, the, the withdrawals of alcohol, which can, which is honestly for anybody listening, just, I've said this before on the show, just to remind everybody coming off of alcohol is the most dangerous thing to come off of them, that and benzodiazepines. So just kind of wondering how that kind of played an impact in your life, seeing that. And cause I, I, heard you say that when you walked out of the house at eight years old, you're like, I'm going to do whatever I need to do to make sure that that doesn't happen to me. So I know I asked you a lot in there, but maybe we can unpack a little bit of it. No, it was, um, you know, uh, like I said, growing up in my house, it, it wasn't all, uh, it wasn't all fun and, and laughter and, and love and support and all the, all the good things. There, there were some traumatic times and, and my two uncles, uh, uh, I only had two uncles and one aunt. Uh, but both my uncles were, were severe alcoholics and uh, they would go on, on almost like ear benders and they, they would keep drinking and drinking and drinking until uh, there was nothing nothing left and uh, they had no more money to, to buy it and then they had to dry out and my mom and I would uh, walk over to their house and, and help dry them out uh, on, on occasion. So that was painful to, to watch and to, to go and, and all of a sudden you have uh, you know six brothers. And all of a sudden, you, your brother started uh, started doing it. Then all of a sudden, you, you, you see it all the time. There's there's a lot of uh, a lot of alcohol around uh, parties, and and I think that's what I learned at a young age uh, to cope with um, things that weren't so pleasant. Um, I used to go running all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, in the middle of the winter time, when the rink wasn't made, I'd, I'd run. Uh, in the summertime, I'd run. Uh, was was I running away from something, or was I, I dealing with the issues that are home? But there, there was a lot of uh, a lot of those times growing up that alcohol was was certainly around, and and all of a sudden walking out of my uncle's house one day, and I, I said, "This isn't going to happen to me when I get uh, when I get older." Then all of a sudden, here I am, 14, 15 years old. Uh, you know, a few of the friends bought a bottle of wine on, on the weekend, and all of a sudden, the case of beer, then the, then the whiskey, then then the joints start uh, start flying around, and here you are, right right in the middle of it. And uh, um, and, and thank uh, thankfully, um, I, I didn't go down that road as far as as some. And uh, I finally found myself, you know, 15, 16 years old, 17 years old, saying, um, I went to a party one night, and we're, we're smoking. Uh, smoking up all, all night long. And I, and I, I swear to God, I came home and on the way home, I, I burped and I thought, I swear to God, I seen smoke come out and I'm going, wow, no more of that for me. So right then and there, I, I, I stopped and uh, I started taking hockey a little bit more serious. Uh, the only time I did drink was uh, probably to, to help forget, uh, mm. help to, you know, some of the, uh, the name calling and the, and the bullying and all of that stuff. Yeah, let's go and have some drinks and, and forget about all the problems. 
Huh. I hate, I hate to hear that you had to go through that. And, and, you know, there's been quite a few uh, people who have gone through different things in hockey, whether it be racism, bullying, harassment, whatever you want to call it. Um, tell me about making the jump uh, to, to the Sioux Greyhounds. Um, you're playing with, with the great one. You get to play with Wayne Gretzky when he's in junior. Where are you at now after coming out of that, that year where essentially you started to dislike the game, but now you get an opportunity to make that jump? Where, where are you at mentally with the game of hockey? Are you still going through some of that same stuff there uh, with the Sioux? Yeah, a little bit, but I, I think it's one of those things I, I, I probably have to talk to someone because when I went to Kenora, um, as much as I, I, I won Rookie of the Year on team, uh, so obviously I, I played pretty well, but tell you the truth, I, I don't remember one game. Uh, I don't remember scoring goals. I don't remember practice. And I, and I think I just blacked out certain places that um, that was that was terrifying or, or scary for for a young boy to go through. And I didn't have any family around. I didn't have anybody to to talk to. So I, I think I black blacked everything out. Um, but when I came uh, home for Christmas break, the Sioux Greyhounds asked me to come out for for a skate with them. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm skating with uh, Craig Hartsburg and uh, uh, Tony Como, some really good junior players, just for a couple of days when I was home for Christmas. And I, I said to myself, geez, I, I can play with these guys. Yeah. And I went back to Kenora, finished finished off the season, and I uh, came back home the next season. And all of a sudden, uh, I made the Sioux Greyhounds. But, you know, Brady, when I made the Sioux Greyhounds, uh, I, I love baseball better than hockey. Mm. Fastball championship team yeah. on reserve, and we went out to all the way out to Saskatchewan. Uh, I think a week before uh, training camp for the Sioux Greyhounds, I got home at uh, I think four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> the training camp was the next morning at seven, and I grabbed my skates out of the shed. <laughs> They're all rusty, all dull, uh, and I put them on. I went out, and uh, uh, it was my 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 real second camp at the, at the, with the Super Hounds, but my real full one that I, and I remember almost uh, a toss in the biscuits because I, I was so out of shape. Um, but I, I managed to fight through and um, I, I made the team. Well, it's pretty awesome too, because that's essentially your your hometown OHL team. It's fairly close to Garden River. So that must have been pretty Pretty big news in Garden River, and I just want to go back to you mentioned running. I, I heard a couple people uh, in interviews mention that they, they're like, we always know when Ted's back home because we see him running. Like people in the community of Garden River even know that, you know, Ted's out running, he's home, and people that buzz. So uh, it must have been pretty exciting uh, for you to make that jump uh, to your hometown team. And, and you know, you obviously had a, quite a bit of success. You get drafted by Detroit. Were you expected to get drafted like was that another surprise for you or was that something on your radar or how were how were you thinking your the next step in hockey was looking for ted nolan yeah you know what uh people would think i'm i'm fibbing when when i when i say i i don't know i when i played with the Sioux greyhounds and wayne gretzky was there and uh, you know he, he was a slender slender little guy and i'm going what's all the hype about this guy and and all of a sudden you, you practice with him you see what he can do and all of a sudden you go wow this guy's amazing. And then um, I, I, I didn't know they drafted him. I didn't know they drafted him first for overall pick to bring him because I didn't understand the draft system. I just thought they invited him like they invited me. And yeah. uh, and all of a sudden I, I went through uh, and I heard the guys whispering about drafts, about uh, NHL draft coming up. And, and I still didn't know because I was a very shy kid. Uh, I, so I didn't ask any questions. So I, I really didn't know. Uh, they had an NHL draft until I was sitting home in the summer um, 
uh, geez, when, when I get drafted in 79 or one of those years, I was sitting down listening to radio. 78. <laughs> I was sitting down listening to radio with my mom, and all of a sudden I heard the uh, sportscaster come on radio and saying, uh, news out of the NHL draft, Ted Nolan just got drafted in the fifth round, and I kind of went, wow. And I, I didn't say anything because, you know, our, our times in our house wasn't uh, you know, the most – uh, there were some trying times. We, we lost our father, so it wasn't a, a time to 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 be happy. So uh, I just hopped in this old Dodge Monaco that I that I bought when I worked construction that, that summer. I went for a ride up into the woods, and I jumped and I hollered and I screamed for because I, I was I was pretty excited because that was the first time really I, I learned about the uh, um, the draft system. And then all of a sudden I was drafted, went to pro camp, and and that's a whole different story because I I didn't know nothing about uh, conditioning. I just played ball all summer and went to, went to pro camp, and all of a sudden they they throw these weights at you, and you have to do this weightlifting and put this big mask on you. For VO2 max and put you on a bike and I'm going. I, I failed everything miserably. And uh, you know, here's a, a story I didn't tell too many people, but um, I, I snuck into the room um, after I think three, three or four practices. I uh, grabbed my skates, went down to the uh, uh, local bar to wait for the bus to back to Sault Ste. Marie. And I caught it at midnight, rode overnight, went back home, and um, because it, it was too big, it was too fast, it was just. Uh, uh, I was out of my element uh, as a young 19, 19 year old kid, uh, never going through this before. I'd never been to a camp outside of the Sioux Greyhound camp. And to go through that, it was one of those uh, uh, times I just, uh, I got scared. And then I went home and uh, I was going to be, that's when I, my, my sights were set on maybe being a police officer. <laughs> it's not a bad racket shout out to all the great police officers i know there's a few that watch and or listen to this show uh first responders as a whole it's a, my dad's a retired fire captain and and you know obviously they do a lot of uh, great work but you went on and you played pro hockey you 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 found your way and i i gotta know uh you turn pro i know the first camp is tough but when you make your first pro hockey team where is your level for the love of the game uh, probably the same same as uh, in in Kenora. Um, the only reason I, I went back, my girlfriend, uh, who's now my wife, uh, agreed to come with me because I, I wasn't going to go by myself. And and kudos to uh, probably the, one of the biggest legends in the game of hockey, Ted Lindsay, uh-huh. general manager at the time. He called me at home. Uh, I, I think nowadays if people leave camp, they're, they're probably never going to get a call to come back. But Ted Lindsay uh, understood. Yeah, because he's the one who started up the Players Association. So yeah. we had a little bit more empathy towards players. And he called me up and, uh, and he asked me uh, why I left. And, and I told him I, I was scared. I, I wasn't ready and uh, I couldn't lift the weights. I couldn't do this and couldn't do that. And he said, that's what we're here for. We're going to help you and we'll teach you how to do it. So by his encouragement and by my girlfriend, who is now my wife, saying she would come with me, uh, I packed up and went down to Kansas City and had my first pro season down in uh, in the old Central Hockey League with the Kansas City Red Wings. Yeah, and you had 50 points in 73 games. Pretty good season there. Um, did you ever find, I know you, you played 80 games in the show, uh, Detroit and Pittsburgh. Did you ever, while playing, find that love for the game again? Um, you know what? Tell you the truth, not, not really. And, uh, you know, we have a... We have a, my wife and I, we, we talk a lot about, you know, I, I think it's trauma. It, had, it has mm-hmm. to be because it, it's so much 
that you have to go through. And how can you enjoy a, a game that, you know, you get a stuck you stick in the ribs and they, they, they name called you all the time about uh, your racial, uh, you know, go back to reserve, you're drunk, you know, you know one another welfare, ch- oh, all the time. And I, I can understand once in a while, but it, it got to a point where uh, playing wasn't, uh, wasn't, but I tell you, the ones that helped me get through it were my teammates, mm-hmm. uh, some wonderful teammates. Uh, there's a few that went over the edge a little bit as far as uh, that stuff is concerned too. Uh, but that was one you could take care of really quick right inside the dressing room where you didn't have to have to wait till next game. So, yeah, but it, I thank God I had some good, uh, good teammates to, to help and support. And, and, and my, my teammates are actually the ones who really helped me uh, develop my, myself as a player. I had this Jody Gage. Uh, he was one of the top players in the American Hockey League. I think he's the top player in the American Hockey League history. Anyways, I had a chance to play with him. And he was, uh, I That's tell you, with Roch, yeah, right? he, I went to Rochester because of Jody Gage and okay. uh, went there and he taught me how to stick hand a little bit better. Not, not the coaches. Uh, the, I had this uh, player named Bill Hogebaum. He was an older player at the time. He taught me how to, how to play. And, and here's the name, uh, Terry Harper. I played with the Montreal Canadiens. He was in Kansas city my first year. And he talked to me about endurance and, and, and what do you run? You get endurance. So he, he taught me a bunch of that stuff. So by listening to the players, I, I slowly got better. I went to Glens Falls, uh, um, New, New York with the Otter Redneck Red Wings. We won the Color Cup in 1980. Uh, on the team, we had Dave Hansen uh, from Slapshot Movie. I tell you, what, what, a, what a class uh, gentleman he is. And uh, I had Peter Mahovlich. Uh, won two Stanley Cups with the Montreal Canadiens. Tom Bladen won with the um, Philadelphia Flyers. He won two Stanley Cups with them, and it had all these guys around me that uh, I just uh, I just watched them in practice, and I and I learned. And all of a sudden, next year I get called up to to Detroit. And that's that's the dream, right? You're there, and uh, I can't imagine what that's like. And and just going back, I mean, you got Ted Lindsay advocating for you and supporting you. Like it, it doesn't get any better than that. Like how, like when you have a guy like that saying, Hey, listen, we're going to take care of you. Come back. Um, uh, that must've made things, uh, quite a bit easier. Did you feel pressure too? maybe coming from a guy like Ted Lindsay? Like, how do you say no to a guy like that? No, I, I didn't, you know, I, I knew of Ted Lindsay, but like I said, my, my background, I didn't know too much about uh, about the game. Obviously, you heard about Babe Ruth and baseball, but have you had a real chance to see who he, how we played or, or Bob Yore in, in hockey? Because uh, like I said, we, we didn't have TV until later on in life. And so I, did, I, I didn't have a chance, but I did see George Armstrong. Uh-huh. And all of a sudden you see George Armstrong and you say, he just looks like me. And you see, uh, you know, Gary Sargent, Jimmy Nielsen, uh, playing with the New York Rangers. Those, those type of players really inspired me to to say, "Jays, if they could, maybe I could too." Then all of a sudden, the the support of a guy like Ted Lindsay, who uh, who not only uh, said words, but he was right there uh, mm-hmm. encouraging the the whole. So that definitely meant uh, meant a lot. Then all of a sudden, you do some research to find out who this guy was. Uh, <laughs> it's a pretty powerful thing when when Ted when Ted Lindsay. Uh, uh, supports you yeah that's a that's a great story thanks for sharing that um in an injury uh forced you to retire and coaching basically falls on your lap and you know when i sit here and think about it your love for the game on the playing side uh dwindled you know early on your first year of junior um but then there you are after retirement you get a you get a call from some guy named Phil Esposito. Is that is that correct? From he's working with the Sioux Greyhounds, some Phil Esposito guy. Look him up. Um, and uh, 
and and there you find yourself coaching. So what what were you thinking coming out of retiring from hockey? Were you happy that in a sense that hey, this is all over now? And and what was your uh, thought process on what coaching might entail? Yeah, my my first uh, when I knew I was done for sure because I I got hit when I was with the Pittsburgh Penguins and I got hit one of those tea kettle pops over the air and fall down in an awkward position. I ruptured uh, three discs in my lower back. Um, uh, they said nothing was wrong with me, but I could hardly uh, I could hardly walk, and they kept saying, "No, nothing's wrong." X-rays are so I went and seen a doctor in uh, uh, in uh, Sioux, Michigan, because I enrolled into Lake Superior State University. Uh, I was going to try to get myself a business degree or some degree to to, to help me uh, move on after retirement. So, and the doctor looked at me and said, "No wonder why you can't play. You got three ruptured discs in your lower back." And I said, you're not looking at uh, retirement. You're looking at malpractice. And so anyways, we, we sued the Penguins and got a little settlement from them that helped uh, helped uh, pay the way through school. Um, going through school, I, I ran into Frank Anzalone, who was the head coach of the Lake Superior State Lakers at the time, who had a very, very good team. And he asked if I'd come out. He heard I, I was a pro, pro player. Asked if I'd come out and help out the players a little bit, which I did. I, I really enjoyed it. And that, that was the extent of, of my coaching. And then all of a sudden, Phil Esposito calls you one night and said, okay, what are you doing on that side? You should be on this side helping out your former team. And then he, we talked about it, and uh, he, he convinced me to be a part-time coach at the Sioux Greyhounds. And you had tremendous success early on. I mean, you went to the league finals three times. You won a Memorial Cup. Uh, you got a you got to be loving the game. Is it, is it different for you at this time in the early nineties now as a coach, are you finding a new passion for the game? And are you trying to, in, you know, instill into your players, uh, maybe a, a little bit better culture than what you had to deal with certainly uh, in, in and around the teams. And, and how do you deal with, with stuff coming from guys on other teams? If you hear any sort of racist remarks or anything like that, what, what was that like for you, Ted? Oh, it was a very, very trying time. And when Phil asked me to be a part-time coach, he never, never mentioned about anything about being a head coach. All of a sudden, <laughs> a month later, they, they fired the head guy. Uh, they asked me to take over, and uh, I, I, my immediate response was no. Uh, I can't coach. And then he said, just do it for a little while until we find someone, which I did. They didn't find anybody, and probably because they're only paying me about $6,000. So I was a perfect fit. Not a bad a team, wasn't very good. I wasn't very good. And they'd have to pay me a whole lot to do it. So then the fans started booing, which the, the, they, they should. We weren't very good. And I was a, I was a terrible coach. Then I kind of took it personally. The same thing when I was growing up. People said I couldn't do this, and I, and I really wanted to prove that I could. And all of a sudden, when the fans started booing, our team needed a better coach than I, I was providing. So I, I went out and learned. I went out and uh, I, I tried to do a quick study. And thankfully, Phil gave me another chance to come back the next year under the leadership of Sherry Baston, one of the best GMs yeah. in junior hockey league history, I believe. Yeah. Uh, anyways, he, uh, he gave me a chance to come back. And, and, I, and I went out and studied of, uh, Native spirituality. I, I bought mm -hmm. Jackson's book. Uh, I learned some stuff from uh, Fred Shiro, who already passed away, but I met his son, Ray. And I, I talked to uh, six or seven coaches that I, that I played for and asked them, how do you form lines and how do you form practices? And went through all that stuff and, and found out before I knew it, I, I, I loved it. I, I really did. I really did 
uh, like it. Our next season was much better. But uh, the following season, we, we really uh, took off. We, we won the league championship, went to Memorial Cup. And and uh, next year, we did the same thing. Third year, we won the Memorial Cup. So it was, uh, but it was a lot of fun. I, I really enjoyed. But when I got hurt from hockey, um, I was walking out of the, the doctor's office when he told me I, I wouldn't be able to play anymore. And there was about a flight of stairs, maybe three or four flight going down to the parking lot. I jumped off the top. And I, and I made sure I landed on my both my feet hard uh, so it would jar my back a little bit more to make sure I, I didn't play. So to answer your question, uh, did I uh, learn to love the game? No, I, I didn't learn to love the game, but I, I, I wanted to coach players the way that I, I hope someone would have coached me. Uh, and to talk to, to players like yourself who who are maybe going through some some issues, you could see. I mean, it's not a hard thing to to see one of your players come in and and not in a very good frame of mind, and all of a sudden you you, you form a relationship, and then you, you start talking. And, and I wish somebody would have done that did that for for me. And in uh, in Kenora, when I was going through, uh, I don't know. Uh, <clears throat> Some of the some of the things that I was going through, so I just uh, uh, I, I I just strapped myself in and I said if I could help them uh, through hockey, um, hey, it's a, it's a perfect job. It's it's a game I I once loved and it's something to help with players. So we we met all the time. We we talked all the time. I took the guys fishing. We we had uh, we had get-togethers uh, uh, all the time. And so anyway, it was just one of those things. And, and the players felt a very open door concept that they can come in and, and, and talk. And, uh, so we, uh, we, we did that and a couple of players, we, we helped turn around, uh, down their, their life pretty good. That went off to NHL careers. Uh, one of them is Denny Lambert. I mean, he was a kid when I first got there, the, the management wanted me to send him home, um, because he showed up to practice late all the time because he was undisciplined all the time. And I'm going to, well, anybody ever talk to him about it? Instead of just talking about the problems, it's easy to talk about problems. Mm. Uh, talking about solutions to those problems is one of the most difficult times. So we had a good talk with Denny and told him he had to be there on time a little bit more. and be. So when we see, long story short, he ended up playing over 500 NHL games. Uh, and he had a wonderful career. Uh, and now he's a police officer in, uh, in Northern Ontario. <laughs> one, and one citizen of the year in Sault Ste. Marie, so pretty, wow. good, a pretty good kid for someone who they wanted to send home. Wow. I just We got a couple of comments and stuff. I just want to get to a couple before we get my little guy before he falls asleep. Hey, Lincoln, what's up? Says, go, Daddy, go. He's watching. Hello, Lincoln. Um, there was one here, too, just uh, Graham Bonner, friend of the show, been on the show, former Sioux Greyhound himself, 60 65 goal scores, 66 goals, Bones, I think, one year with the Sioux. Uh, it says, two of my favorite people love Garden River and the Sioux. Um, he also says, great stuff, boys. We'll get to some more questions and comments um, later later at the show or at the end here. Um, you make the jump from junior, Ted. You go to the Hartford Whalers for a short period of time, and then you get the call. Head coaching job in Bo- uh, Buffalo. I almost said Boston because I'm staring at Bo- nothing but Boston Bruins memorabilia here. Uh, my podcast is done from Harry Sinden's niece's basement. So you can just imagine all the Boston Bruins stuff that is surrounding me. And I'm actually from Vancouver. So it's a very sore spot from 2011. So, uh, but you get to Buffalo, 37 years old, and people are already questioning you. And I love the way that you address the media. I'm not sure of how many times you've gone back and, and watched that, but you said something along this, uh, along the lines of, I've never met 
a hockey player that doesn't have a little boy inside of them because the question was, well, you can coach young men, these, these teenagers, junior hockey, but you're 37. Now you got to coach the NHL. And uh, you, you did admit that you were a little bit nervous uh, going into that, but you, you did a tr- fantastic job. Tell us a little bit about the initial uh, call to the NHL. And now you're standing behind the, the bench of the Buffalo Sabres. Well, yeah, you know what, tell you the truth. I, I don't hundred percent remember the call to coach Buffalo. I remember going to uh, um, Hartford because uh, we had a, a pretty good rivalry with one of the teams in the league, and Jimmy Rutherford was our GM. And uh, we didn't see eye to eye on a lot of things because we were fierce competitors. And then when he got the became uh, general manager of the Hartford Whalers, uh, we ran into him at the OHL draft, and I said, uh, "Congratulations, uh, you should do a great job there." And he he kind of asked me what I was doing next year, and uh, and he asked if he if I'd come to Hartford which I gladly accepted. And I went there. I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed the, the time in Hartford. That was a lockout, lockout year. It was really, it was a really uh, a defying year for myself because I, I coached junior hockey. Then I went to NHL and then the NHL, I went to coach my son uh, who's 12, uh, who's 10 years old at the time. I was coach, So from junior to pro back to peewee all within one year. And somebody asked me one time, is that you know, what, what's the difference between coaching junior and coaching pro? I tell them the, the difference between all three leagues is is just uh, your approach. Instead of telling a, a adult how to do it, you, you you down it a little bit for a, for a, for a junior player. And when you have a kid, you kind of make cartoons out of it and, and do it that way and make it more more fun. So that was a very trying year, but I, I really uh, really enjoyed my time. And when I got the call from or someone uh, uh, called about Hartford or the Buffalo job, and, and I applied. I, I think I had two or three interviews with them. Uh, John Muckler with with myself, we, we I, yeah. didn't feel it was it was a, a great interview, but um, but the, they had the CEO at the time. His name was Doug Moss, and Doug and myself we kind of talked about the entertainment of, of hockey. And I told him, you know, everybody talks about hockey a contact sport. I said ballroom dancing's contact. <laughs> Hockey's a collision sport. <laughs> laugh and we start doing all that stuff. And I said, uh, I said people pay a lot of money to to watch. Yeah, and uh, you don't want to go out and not give your best. So I said, uh, I wanted uh, the hardest working team in, in uh, professional sport uh, that uh, people in Buffalo would be very proud of. And Buffalo is a blue collar town that earn they have to work hard for their money. So we wanted a hard working team. So I think he liked uh, that approach much better. And anyways, uh, I I get the job offer. Yeah, and and you know you had a. a- Fairly good first year, but an even better second year. You lead the Buffalo Sabres to their best season in, I don't know, history or 16 years, whatever it may be. Um, everyone knows the story. Uh, I don't even like to bring it up. You win the Jack Adams Award, and uh, the next year you're offered a one-year contract, which, you know, not to bring it up again, but to me is just a huge slap in the face. And uh, and then you basically go cold from coaching. You turn down a job from Tampa once again with Phil Esposito. Um, but then you go, you go cold. So walk us through a little bit about your decision on turning down, um, that, that one year contract. It wasn't so much, uh, you know, everybody talks about, there was a lot of stuff written about, uh, I turned a multi-year contract down through the course of the season, which was not, uh, was not the case. Uh, I turned down big money, uh, which wasn't the case. I, I was, I was offered, basically I was offered the, the same contract, uh, that I had the year before, and it was a one-year contract, and I just thought it was, 
they didn't want me. So I'd rather, I'd rather with them would have said, you know, Ted, we're going to part ways and, and, uh, um, see you later versus make me an insulting offer that they knew I would refuse. And even one of the uh, CEOs at the time, I think his name was Bob Suedos. He was on, even on, on air saying, you know, the, the plan was to offer him a contract that he'd have to refuse, which, which I did. And um, uh, would I do it again? I'd do it a thousand times over. Cause I, I, I think uh, one of our seven grandfather teachings in our, in our uh, growing up is, is, is respect. And I just didn't think it was a respectful offer. And I didn't think they had any respect for the job I did. And so I'd rather just walk away. And uh, but, but I knew kind of tr- uh, trouble was in water throughout the course of the year. And, and I'm not too sure if you've seen the documentary from uh, uh, Rick Westhead did uh, The Unwanted Visitor. And the situation that happened during the course of the year one of our best players and probably best human beings I've ever coached, Pat LaFontaine. He got uh, seriously injured. Uh, I refused to, to play him. And when you refuse orders from your your superiors, uh, sometimes that doesn't work out very well. So I, I knew my days were numbered after that, basically going going forward. That decision to not play Pat LaFontaine, this is, uh, Pat LaFontaine had uh, some serious concussion problems and this is, Really, I mean, and and I'll blatantly say this: I still disagree with the way that concussions are looked at from from a hockey standpoint, from the NHL down. That's just my opinion on it. But this is pretty much way before anybody's even really talking about concussions. It's like, oh, you're seeing stars get out there and and keep playing. Um, so to to be able to to do that and to stand up to management must have been pretty difficult. Uh, but Pat Lafontaine certainly appreciates it uh, then and all these years later. Yeah, no, no question. It's probably one of the one of the best decisions I've I've ever made, uh, as far as as far as coaching is concerned. Yeah, you're talking. About, you know, I mean, I I don't get me wrong. I, I I like sports, but sports isn't everything. I mean, uh, all these young men or young women playing the sport, they're they're going to have to have a, a career of some sort going forward. They're not going to be able to play a, a high level sport for the rest of their life. And so my my always my biggest concern, even when coaching junior. Uh, having some of the players go on to pro hockey, we always talked about, you know, things, what they're going to do after they're done, because a lot of people don't talk about it too often. And it's almost like a taboo in hockey. Don't, don't talk about that later. And so that was one of my, my coaching philosophies. I I bring the players in for a meeting and then all of a sudden the topic would get, you know, you have married now, you have two kids. Yeah. When you're done this game, what what are you going to do? All of a sudden they look at you. I don't know. What what do you mean? What I'm going to do? I said, people have been asking me that my whole life. My brother, my younger brother, Steve, uh, he asked me that all the time. He said, Ted, what are you going to do when you're done? And I don't know if he thought I was that good of a player because he knew my career was going to end over early. But he kept asking me, so what are you going to do? So yeah, I kind of started thinking, what am I going to do? And, and I think that's one of the questions we should throw at our, our junior players uh, a lot sooner because we all know uh, there's only a very, very small percentage that end up uh, playing in, in a national hockey league and, and making significant money in order to to retire on. The, there's a lot of players that play, but to have enough money to retire on, even even if you did, you're still 29, 30 years old. Yeah. Uh, you still got a whole life in front of you. You got to do something. I mean, it's sitting down and playing golf all day. Uh, it ain't going to cut it for a lot of people. 
Yeah, and I'm I'm glad that you brought that up, and I think it's something that I really started to pay more attention to when I started to share my story. And because once I started to share my story, I obviously started to connect a lot of the dots um, throughout the hockey community of other uh, guys and girls uh, who have who have struggled with mental health and like addiction issues, for example. And um, you know, you know, I'm not sure what the answer is, but you know we all have an expiry date in the game of hockey. And what I've found is that recreating that, I don't know if it's the adrenaline, I'm sure it has something to do with it. The adrenaline, that rush playing in front. If you get to a point, even major junior, you get into some rinks and you know, it's 10,000, sometimes 15,000 people. Uh, some of these bigger rinks, if it's a big game, how, like, how do you recreate that in real life? What does that look like when you leave the game of hockey? And uh, I've just noticed so many, so many have struggled, um, regardless if they played 10, 15 years in the NHL or they never played a single pro game but played junior. That transition out of hockey when that's all you've done your whole life can be extremely, extremely difficult. Now, I just want to fast forward a little bit here with with Buffalo and I don't want to talk too much about it but initially you win the Jack Adams award Ted and and then you know you go cold what what was that time like for you and you can go as much detail or as little um, from a personal standpoint and because I think there was a lot of questions um, from a lot of people going what the hell did anybody ever stop and ask you how you were doing through all of this Aside from your immediate family, uh, my my wife, my brothers, uh, that was about it. I, I didn't have uh, nobody in the game of hockey ever called me and said, "Hey, Ted, you got screwed," or or uh, you got an opening. So usually, you know, you move from one place to another place. Somebody would would uh, tag you along, but for whatever reason, that that didn't happen to me because I don't think I was really in that club. Uh, I, don't get me wrong; I, I love the game. But I, I love my family and going back home in the summertime a lot more than, than hockey. So in the off season, I didn't go to the golf tournaments. I didn't go to the coaching clinics. I never took a coaching clinic in my life. Uh, maybe, maybe I shouldn't say that. I took it twice uh, or one day. It didn't, didn't work out too well for me. But I, I, I didn't uh, uh, participate in too many of those things. And I, and I went home and people assume that you, you're not interested in the game. I'm, I'm interested in the game as much as anybody. But... Um, uh, having a, a, your priorities straight and what's really important in life. Uh, sometimes we, we lose that, and, and I'm no different. I, I lost the sight of that because your family is so important. It really, really is important. Then all of a sudden the, the game kind of takes over, and then um, all of a sudden you're lost. So um, what was it like? It was a very dark period of, of, of time because I, I felt I was, I was I felt I was good at something that uh, – I was looking for my, my whole life. You know, I was an okay player. Uh, I mean, I, I worked hard and I tried hard, and but uh, coaching, I, I felt uh, I hit my hit my mark. This is something that I that was meant to do, and and I was doing it. And we we went to. I mean, who goes to three straight Memorial Cups? And all of a sudden, well, we, can I just hop in for a second? When when we're talking junior hockey, okay. That is so hard to do. It's easier, essentially, for me in my mind to. The Stanley Cup finals three years in a row than junior hockey because the turnaround in junior hockey is just so significant all the time. So three years in a row, it's fantastic accomplishment, unbelievable. And from people that I've talked to, I know I don't 
uh, you must remember Richard Greenop. He wanted me to to say hello to you. He texted me earlier, and there's a few people watching. We're going to get to some comments. I know the minor, Daniel Miner's family is watching right now as well. We'll get to a comment here shortly. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's that's got to be tough. Um, Ten years goes by. What did what did Ted Nolan do for for ten years? That's a question that I have. Uh, there wasn't too much out there for what did you do for ten years? Well, you, you know, it was one of those. Uh... I probably went to some dark places for the first couple of years because I was so mad. I was frustrated. I was wondering why. Uh, no, one, no one ever called me to say, you know, did that happened or this happened. I, I would explain. But everybody kept hearing rumors and rumors and rumors. and But nobody ever asked me. And if they would have asked me, they would have found out a lot. So, but anyways, that. so anyway, I was in a, not a very good place for a couple of years. And uh, it's funny, I went through, you never know where changes happen in your life. I went to a movie one afternoon, and I went to Muhammad Ali's story with uh, with Will Smith. Mm-hmm. And I seen him, because I, I seen some of my, my, my brothers, my latest brother just passed away not too long ago, but six months ago, and he lived on the streets. And, um, and, and all his turmoil went through, and all of a sudden I'm watching Will Smith go through his, and, you know, he never lost prospect of who he was. Mm. He uh, he believed he was champion. He was still champion, even despite of. And here I was. I was feeling sorry for myself. I was moping around. I was, I was just wasn't a very good person. And uh, I came out of that movie uh, a whole changed man. I got on the phone. I called a few friends of mine, um, chiefs, and I said, I got an idea. Let's raise some money, and mm-hmm. it, uh, for have a golf tournament. It's, it's an old idea, but to me it was brand new. And so, <laughs> We started the golf tournament. We, we called it Ted Nolan Golf Tournament, and they thought I was going to give it to uh, to, to sporting programs. But we, uh, my mother was tragically killed in a drunk driving accident when I was only 20 years old, and in uh, her life meant so much for my life because uh, we always talk about us men as being the backbone of the family that the women are, and my mom was the backbone of ours. So I wanted to honor her in one way. So we, we started up the, uh, the Rose Nolan Scholarships. And I'm then really talking to you here today of all the stuff I did in my life. That was probably the, the most proud I've ever been of everything. We re- we raised close to you know, over $2 million. And we give uh, uh, scholarships to First Nation women, not just in Ontario, but right across Canada. So that's what I did. I loved it. I, I just loved it. We had uh, speaking events. We had uh, hockey programs. We were going, raising uh, funds. And then um, all of a sudden I get a call one night sitting at home, uh, I get a call from Robert Irving, uh, who owned the Moncton Wildcats. And he said, uh, Ted, would you be interested in uh, talking to me? I own the Moncton Wildcats. And and um, anyways, I, I agreed to meet with him. And I told my wife after he hung up, I said, there's not a chance in heck I'm going out to Moncton to coach junior. Uh, but I want to meet with him because he, he had the uh, decency and courtesy. To, he was the first one ever called me. And mm-hmm. uh, um, so anyway, that I went out and met with him, and the if you've seen the show Unwanted, this is the first one that wanted me to be a part of it. So I called home immediately, uh, about five minutes into the conversation, I told my wife, we're going to Moncton. <laughs> we to go to Moncton. And uh, I was scared. I, I was really scared because I, I never coached in 10 years, uh, except for coaching my, my boys, uh, a few practices here and there. So I was a little bit scared. I was a little intimidated. And... Um, but lo and behold, we, uh, we did pretty well. Uh, we had some resources, we recruited and you talked about the Boston Bruins earlier. Uh, one of the, uh, one of my favorite players is, uh, Brad Marchand. 
Yes. Uh, he was a 17 year old kid and Keith Neandle was, was on the team. And unfortunately, uh, Luke Brudon, uh, oh, yes. uh, uh, with a motorcycle accident, he was on our team. And so like I said, we, we had a, we had a pretty good team. We won the Quebec major junior league championship and we lost out to the Quebec ramparts coached by Patrick Waugh. <laughs> Patrick, Patty Waugh, what a character. Oh, yeah. Um, that must have felt pretty good, right? Like going back and, and even though, you know, you go from the NHL to, to junior hockey, it must have felt pretty good. What do you think the biggest difference is from a coaching aspect? Uh, and I know you answered this a little bit earlier about going from pro junior to minor hockey, but the dynamic in the dressing room and, and, and that, do you, as a coach, really notice a big difference when you go from, say, the NHL to a, to a major junior dressing room? Uh, not for for myself. I, I think treating people whatever age is is the same. I mean, you don't uh, disre- disrespect the seventeen year old, and you don't disrespect the twenty seven year old, and uh, so you, you you show them respect, and, and you give them a, a game plan that um, everybody feels a part of it. And some teams I, I played on that I was in uh, when I started, I was on the fourth line. Uh, coach never talked to us hardly. We went out. We made one mistake. When we'd sit down for the rest of the period, no explanation whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, and he didn't know if we had a bad night night before or something happened in our life. Yeah. He never talked to us. So my whole philosophy was to to get to know the players and and to try to play them as, as much as they could because that's why all the you know people talk about this significant uh, MVP or most valuable player or leading scorer. Uh, there's only one name on it. But if the, the big prize, which is the Stanley Cup in the Memorial Cup, has all the team's names on it, like everybody's a part of it. So to me, I wanted to coach a team that everybody felt part of and everybody felt uh, wanted and, uh, and appreciated. So I tried to play as much uh, um, equal as much as I, I could. You know, we all know top players got to play yeah. top minutes at a certain time. But when we're winning, winning the game 5-1 going in the third period, I don't think those top players need to play all that much. So that's the time to play the third and fourth lines. Yeah. And that's, it's so important. You know, I went through, I think a lot of us as hockey players and probably other athletes as well outside of hockey uh, have gone through something like that. And, and it makes it a very difficult game to play hockey. Certainly when, when you're squeezing your stick, you know, you're on the fourth line and, and I've been there, you know, my first year junior for the first little bit. And my whole thought process was, don't screw up a pass, don't miss a pass, get the puck in and get the hell off the ice because of exactly that. Because And then it's like you get back to the bench and you're doing this one, looking back like, is he looking at me? Did I do something wrong? Like, okay, nope, I'm just going to sit here and, and and be quiet and ready for my next shift. And and, and that is, I felt that through junior, I felt that through pro. Um, so I love that philosophy. And I, I did hear you mention it on uh, one of the the clips that I have been watching over the last couple of days um your coaching philosophy is I have it written down right here everyone is is important and treated the same and having a role um maybe it's not as great of a role as that top line center or you know number one d or whatever it is but being very clear that when you get to the rink you know what your role is and that you're playing some part in and around that team i think is so important you know, no, uh, no like i said you know far as like even my, my upbringing that's where I, I got it from the family of 12 and I always felt that I was the most special of the group because I, I, I played. Then all of a sudden I heard my sister tell her friends that she thought she was. And my other brother said the same thing. And But we all basically, we all said the same thing. We all felt that. So that's the, the feeling I wanted to bring into a team, that everybody felt 
uh, appreciated. Everybody felt part of. And uh, and I always said it to the team, if you want to go somewhere fast, just go by yourself. But nah. if you want to go somewhere far, you got to go together. You, you really need support and uh, friends and, and uh, foe with you along the way. So that's the way I'll uh, I'll keep quiet while you continue now. But no, no, I was I, I love it. I could listen to you speak all day. Now I, you know, the the players that I've talked to that have played for you and and other stuff that I've seen. You know, they just even Patty Lafontaine in an interview said, you know, how go through the wall and how far, how much further do you want me to keep going for for Ted Nolan, right? And it, and so don't ever feel like just please keep talking. It actually makes my job quite a bit easier. Um, I want to switch gears just a little bit because you mentioned uh, your boys, uh, Jordan and Brandon. They had uh, quite a bit of success throughout their own careers too. And your your last name is on the Stanley Cup, right? Like, you know, you want he's a Stanley Cup champ. Uh, Jordan is, and um, tell me tell me what it was like because going through that that little bit of time there um, would have been in some of their most formal formidable years as hockey players going through junior and that. So um, were you able to be there a little bit more for them through those years? You think because you weren't coaching? Well, the the uh, Brandon more so because I, I wasn't coaching. And then yeah. Jordan, he started, then I, I got the Moncton job. Then I was up in Moncton. He was down in Erie, Pennsylvania, playing with the Erie Otters. Uh, my wife was in St. Catharines. So we're all three different places. And it was a real tough year for him. And uh, um, I didn't have a chance to go watch him play as much as I, I would have liked to. Um, but anyways, it was a very trying year. But, uh, yeah, he, he managed to, to get uh, drafted in the seventh round by the – it was so funny because I remember having a conversation with him when he was 19 years old, and we we're sitting there because I I never put my players in the in, in hockey to play in the National Hockey League. I yeah. put them in the, because it's a sport that we we played, and to make friends and uh, you know learning how to work with people and teamwork and all that stuff you you learn from uh, sport. So uh, that's what. Then all of a sudden uh, he was playing major junior. Then I had I just kind of asked him one day. I said, Jordan, you you want to play pro hockey? He says, Yeah. I said, you do. <laughs> he said, well, you're, you're really fooling me because I, I don't, I, you don't have a, a snowball's chance of, of playing because you, you, you don't work. You're not working at it. So anyways, I give him credit, boy. He, I said, you're sitting on the couch too much. You're laying around too much. And give him credit. He went and found himself a trainer, started taking the game a little bit more serious. And then all of a sudden, three years later, he's hosting Memorial or the Stanley Cup bringing it back to Garden River and bringing it down to our, uh, the first one he won, we brought it down to the grave, grave site with my uh, mom my, my and dad's were. And wow. my, my dad is, uh, his name is Stanley. So to bring the Stanley Cup down to the reserve, which never been before, it was a, it was a very, very powerful moment. We had a sunrise ceremony and it was, uh, it was, I mean, the next year he won it, we brought it to a powwow. Wow. The third time with the St. Louis Blues, we just kind of had a, a private thing. But both uh, and Brandon, I, I think he would have became a, a pretty good player too. But he suffered a severe uh, uh, head concussion um, playing a, playing a game in the, the American Hockey League one one night before, just after he got called up for the NHL. But uh, uh, he had to fight through head concussions for two to three years. Finally got through it. Went back to school. Got himself a business and marketing degree. And uh, in Jordan, we, we talked about, you know, what are you going to do when you're done? And he just uh, just recently re retired and he was in that crossroads. Now he's uh, he's three days away from graduating. I heard you say your father was a fireman. Uh, he's three days from graduating to be a, a firefighter. 
Wow. Awesome. That's uh, it's a, honestly, from what I've seen through my dad's experience and a lot of my friends and former hockey players, it's huge uh, in that community. Uh, fantastic job. He'll be a great fit there. Uh, must've been pretty awesome for them to, to be able to lean on you. Is that something that they did quite often? And before you answer that, how much time do you have, Ted? Do you got to get going here? Or? Uh, no, I got, uh, I don't even know what time it is. So I'm, I'm good. Uh, <laughs> Uh, no, it, but I, I, I just, uh, the basic thing I, I told him that I, I told my, my father told me, he just asked me if I was in, enjoying it and having fun playing. And, uh, and if you are playing, uh, give it your best and make sure you work. And, uh, so every game I, I went to, I, I worked my, my tail off. Uh, and that's one thing I, I pass on to my boys. If you're going to play compete, just, just compete and then work as hard as you can. And, uh, if you lose, I don't, I don't really care about losing. Uh, I care about not putting in an effort. And if you put an effort into, uh, into your everyday life, uh, it'll pay off in the long run. So I was very proud to say my, my boys, uh, my boys worked. Uh, that's, that's not something that everyone can find in within themselves to do, right? Like and not, not just within hockey. So it must've been a pretty proud moment for you. I mean, probably even more so as a father uh, to have, Jordan come back um, and and to be able to take it to see your mom and dad and, and your mom's uh, or sorry your dad's name being Stanley um, that must have been a, a pretty powerful moment for for you more so than even if you would have won it. Oh no, no question. Uh, even if I didn't play one game in the in the National Hockey League or even even played the game, tell you the truth, but to watch your your children, I think as as parents. Uh, you want the best for your kids, and and I certainly had that feeling when I was growing up in Garden River, uh, with with my mom and dad. They they did everything under their power to to make a make a life for us, and I certainly wouldn't be here uh, if if they didn't. And I wanted to be that uh, that same parent for for my two boys. Uh, I wanted to be. If somebody said uh, I was a I was a great coach and a bad father that wouldn't fit with me whatsoever but if I was a great father and a bad coach I could live with that with a smile on my face <laughs> well that's the most important thing right yeah. um, you you do make your way back to the NHL 2013-14 um, um, as a as a head coach um, back to Buffalo uh, and you've been coaching kind of on and off since and you did some international stuff with Latvia and Poland. Um, what's on the agenda for Ted Nolan? Um, whether there's something or there's not, where's your your mindset at? Because, you know, sitting here, and I know there's so many people that agree with me, you just got to be coaching. You got to be coaching. Well, which I, I just coached a uh, team indigenous. We grabbed a bunch of 14, 15-year-old kids, and we took them to a high-prospect uh, tournament in Toronto uh, two week, three weekends ago and uh, competed against the kids that all played triple-A hockey. And uh, we had some kids that uh, played single-A and, and what have you, but just never had the opportunity to. And we uh, we made it right to the semifinal. And, wow. Uh, tell hold, you, on. hold on. That's, that's awesome. Semifinal. That's incredible. Got lost it, was, uh, it was uh, uh, empowering. So my, my son, Brandon, myself, and Jordan, uh, we're probably going to continue with the with the three no three in, and, yeah. uh, three in uh, hockey uh, and trying to assemble as many good kids as we possibly can, and to give them exposure and give them an opportunity to find out what NCAA is, is requirements are. There's a lot of our kids that are talented, 
but they just don't know how to proceed to the next level. And uh, hopefully we can be that uh, that guiding uh, force for them. And, and then two weeks ago, or yeah, two weekends ago, I went to Freddie Sackmo's tournament. They have a men's tournament, and they, this year they put a women's division in. And I coached a, a team from Ontario. So uh, coaching is still in, inside me. I, I love to coach. And uh, like I said, uh, I was one of those players that had to work so hard. So maybe the game wasn't so fun because I had to work so hard to, to try to keep up. Um, but coaching it was just kind of one of those things where you kind of give direction to the to the players. You, know, you get them to score one more goal than the opposition. That's all. Just one more, then you usually win a game. Huh. I you can just see it in your face, Ted, like how you light up when you talk about coaching and, and all of that. And I know there's been some hard times through coaching, um, absolutely no doubt, and some major question marks. And I can't imagine what it's what you've had to go through. Um, but I, I'm wondering if, if maybe um, in moments like that, when you're, when you're at that tournament with those, with those young boys, um, young girls uh, and, and having success at that level, if that maybe clears the air a little bit, like it's about so much more than the NHL. And I heard you talk, you know, when you were a kid, it was never about the NHL. It was just about the love of the game. So is it maybe about the love of the game now? Oh, definitely. I, I, I love doing and and whether it's, I was coaching the, the girls up in uh, Saskatchewan or the young boys in uh, in uh, Southern Ontario or coaching the, the NHL team, I, I'd, I'd still have the same 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 approach because I, I, I think the game is a wonderful game and trying to score one more goal and putting a, a team together and uniting them and, and competing, uh, I, I think it's a, the most beautiful thing you could, you could do. And uh, the last year in Buffalo uh, kind of soured the, the whole thing, the process again, because it, it's tough to, to win. It, it, it's really, really hard to win. But when you try to lose, uh, it makes it even more difficult. So that was uh, that was probably the most disappointing part about my, all my coaching uh, put together, but when you talk about it, people saying, you know, they can say what they want, but uh, yeah, everybody, everybody knows that, uh, you know, sometimes they, you, you tank in order to get a draft position. And um, with the first overall pick, the Buffalo Sabres select Jack Eichel. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, who really cares? I, I think that the thing is, uh, some of the, the best team that you have, and continue to compete and work. But when you try to uh, lose in order for a draft position, that's that's when it's totally wrong. We we did we, we drafted Eric Lindros in Sault Ste. Marie. Uh, he was our first pick. We were bottom place, but we we didn't try to lose. We, we tried to win all the, we just weren't very good. Uh, so there's a difference. But in Buffalo, it was not only they're afraid that we're starting to compete which they're afraid that we're starting maybe a gel a, a group of kids to together to 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 win some games. And all of a sudden, boom, this goalie's gone. This guy's gone. And all of a sudden you start all over again. So that was that was probably the, the most frustrating of all the coaching things I've ever done in my life. That's uh it's really unfortunate too, right? And there's just so much that there's so much to the game that people, unless you've been around it and you've been around it way more than I ever will be, but there's little, uh, you know, the old boys club is a, is a big one. Um, no doubt. And I'll openly say it. I have no issue saying that there it is. It's a, it's a close knit tight door community. Whereas we alluded to earlier, if you're not going to golf tournaments and the coaching clinics and all these places, it can be very tough. Um, and then you're put in a situation where basically it's, you're being set up to almost 
essentially look like you're failing, but to them, it's succeeding by getting the first overall draft pick. It's just when you when you think of pro sports, right? The NHL that that should never ever be happening, right? I, I, I agree with you 100. I think uh, the draft should just be a lottery. If you're bad, you're bad. I mean, then the fans won't come to watch you. Don't uh, don't draft a, a young player and all of a sudden think you're going to win the Stanley Cup. That that doesn't happen. And uh, Buffalo just just proved that it, it's not going to happen, and it doesn't happen. Uh, I think uh, you know building through the draft is very important. But you know what? What I would love to do more so than anything is just sit down in front of a, a general manager or in front of a team and to talk and explain what I think I could do uh, for that team. I never had that opportunity. Uh, Jeez. For a long, long time. What if somebody like would you coach junior again? You think? Uh, junior is. Uh, I tell you, that's a lot of work. <laughs> it's a lot of work. Not so much uh, the hockey. The hockey is. Uh, but to you're, you're like a like a parent. You're, you're like a father. You're, you're like babysitting uh, a lot, and you and you have to. You got to make sure the the players are not doing what they're they're not supposed to be doing. They're not. You know, shouldn't be running around the streets at two, three o'clock in the morning, and you got school next day and uh, uh, getting some. So you got to be on top of that. And uh, I, I, I had many, many a nights. I, I, I called our players, went by their houses to make sure they were still in, to make sure. The, you know, if a, if a, if you're a parent and you send your son to play for an organization, that organization is responsible for that young boy, and yeah. to make sure that he. That he that he that he follows the, the rules pretty good. That he doesn't get caught with the wrong, wrong uh, mischief. That maybe you know because we're all we're all kids. We all make mistakes and we all uh, do things that we think it's cool at the time, but uh, could really um, hurt hurt you in, in the long run. So uh, that's why junior hockey. I took it very very uh, seriously. One of the one of the best stories in my junior coaching was one parent walked up to me for when we drafted his son, and he said. Coach, if you could do me one thing, just make sure he graduates out of high school, okay? Because he didn't think, but but the kid ended up uh, playing pro hockey a little bit. Uh, he graduated, and I got invited to his wedding. Uh, probably about uh, he he got married late in life, probably about twenty years later. And uh, lo and behold, he's a chartered accountant. Wow! So you know those <laughs> things when you when you're doing with especially with with young men young women it's so important to to make sure they they do things the right way absolutely i i feel like anyone who's had the opportunity and the just to have you as a coach and to have you in their life has definitely benefited um and i know that your life experience you, you know you paid you paid for it right it was tough but now you're giving you're giving back and it's not just you it's your sons we talked a little bit about three nolans uh, but before we wrap up the show i don't want to take up too much more of your time tell us a little bit more exactly what the three nolans uh found it or three nolans hockey three nolans hockey not the three nolans foundation right yes that's correct um you know my, my, my son brandon um uh he was working for an organization and kind of like a young entrepreneurs and doing certain things. He was doing presentations and, and, uh, anyways, the late bulb went, his, went off in his head. He said, Hey dad, I think, uh, all three of us, uh, we all played in the National Hockey League. Maybe we can do camps and do presentations to, to our, our first nation brothers and sisters across Turtle Island. And we could help with, uh, so anyway, we, we formed the, uh, three Nolans and all of a sudden he, he got the, 
the the swag going. You got the hats and T-shirts, and uh, so we've been doing that. Uh, I think we we had something like thirty five hundred kids go through our program in the last little while. So what we do is uh, uh, not necessarily go into cities to because they have a lot of access to them, or we will. But uh, we go to a lot of remote communities uh, that uh, fly in. There's no. Uh, or winter roads and uh, some haven't some places haven't got hotels. We got to stay in fire departments and, and so forth. But uh, and we bring in equipment for the kids and uh, we have some kids playing ringette hockey with our hockey program and we have uh, uh, house league caliber or just beginners to triple A caliber. So it's a whole mix. And but uh, I tell you, the the, the kids uh, really seem to to love it. Uh, I'm just hoping they love it half as much as we do because we really enjoy it. And, it, and it's really good for Jordan and Brandon uh, to learn the importance of, of giving back. It's not yes. taking and taking and see what you can get. It's about giving back for the next people behind you to grab their hand and pull them up uh, with you. So uh, hopefully through that, we can inspire kids not only to, to play sport, but to make sure that they, they know the importance of education. And and uh, a big thing which, which we started off the program is you know, uh, dangers of, of substance abuses and to make sure that the kids uh, uh, don't try to experiment and try to do it in, in a good way. Um, so when, they, when they're when they faced with decisions, uh, hopefully the answer would be no. It's, um, it's amazing uh, that you guys are doing that. And, and you know, I, I think, at least for me, and I'm, I guarantee you feel the same way and, and Brandon and Jordan too, you find when you're doing this kind of work, uh, you know, yes, we're giving back. Yes, you're giving back. But in turn, it, it does make us feel good as well um, as humans to be of service and whatever that looks like. And I always encourage everybody, um, you know, we can all be more to, of service every day in some small way, even if it's just holding the door for somebody. Right. Like it's just little things. And, uh, you know, I, I legitimately go out of my way every single day uh, to try to do some sort of service work if I can. And if I miss a day, it's like, well, I better pick up pick up the slack tomorrow um, because I just feel like it makes the world that much better of a place for everybody. And it also in turn makes me feel good. And uh, it's just such a great feeling. Perfect. That's great. I want to get to uh, to a couple comments. Um, sorry, guys, I'm not going to get to all of them. I'm going to let uh, Ted go here shortly. But Ted, I'd love to have you back again. And I'd love to have maybe Jordan and Brandon on at some point. Now, is it Jordan or Brandon that was on Shorzy, the TV show? Actually, both of them. Both of them are on it. Okay. So I missed a quick story. I'm friends with Terry Ryan, who's on the show yes. with them as well. And He's from Newfoundland, so, you know, we hadn't met. He's quite a bit older than me. Sorry, TR, but you are. Um, we hadn't met, but we've become friends over this last two years. We talk all the time. And he's like, he called me the one day. He's like, hey. He's like, I just landed this sh a spot on this Shorzy. He's like, this was like a year ago. And he's like, you got to come up. He's like, I'm going to have a trailer. It's going to be awesome. He's like, come up here, see what it's all about. And so it was getting close to crunch time. And he's like, hey, man, I'm like, you got to come. You got to come. He's like, email this girl. He's like, I'm going to get you on the show. And I'm like, nah, I don't know, man, but okay. He's like, email her. So I emailed this girl and she's like, emails me right back. She wanted to see a hockey picture, this, that, what level did you play? She saw my hair, the mustache. She's like, don't cut your hair. Don't cut your mustache. She's like, we'll get back to you. And then some other girl emailed me like a week or two weeks later from a different email address. And it went to my junk mail. 
and I missed the casting call by 24 hours. So I never made it up there. And I was like, Terry, Terry's like, where are you, man? Like you're supposed to be here. I wasn't going to be like a main character, but whatever, sitting in the crowd or on the ice doing my thing. So it would have been a cool opportunity, but what a great show and what a great opportunity for, for Jordan and Brandon to be a part of it. Well, I, 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 I seen you skate a little bit that morning. You were warming up the goaltenders. So you could, yeah, you could, you could still definitely play. So you'd be a, you'd be a good, because uh, they're, they're looking for really good hockey players to not just actors. Well, the, the acting, that's where it goes out the window. So if there's hockey players, maybe it's coming back slowly. And, and before I let you go, you know, I, I, I'm going to get to a couple of comments, but I, I kind of put two and two together in my mind. Anyways, you were essentially away from, from coaching for 10 years there. And I was away from hockey for 10 years as well. I didn't skate. I didn't do anything for 10 years from 2000 and whatever it was, 11 till 2021. And it's 10 years. And now I've found my way back to the game and it's just been such a gift and uh, just super grateful to be part of the hockey community and super grateful to get to meet people like you. And I think I met, I met Brandon uh, while I was up there. Jordan was already on the ice. You guys were running a, a three end session uh, when I met you and I, I bothered you for a minute. You were so kind. Thank you for that. Um, Michelle Miner watching with, with Tom Miner. Um, she says, never, ever did my husband and I ever think we would be in the same room as Ted and his family. But because of our son, Daniel, we became friends and he is one of the most friendly and down to earth individuals that we have ever met. Beautiful family. Hello to the Miner family down there in Dunville. And in, in my hat, actually, I, I have Daniel and Daniel in my hat, um, that's what we do here at Puck Support, Ted. I think I showed you that on all the stuff. We we have a name of a hockey player who's either uh, passed away from mental health or addiction-related issues, and uh, tragically, Daniel passed away last year. And uh, the Miner family has just become so close to, to me and to Puck Support, and I'm just so grateful for their support, and I love you guys so much. And they've said, repeatedly texted me, Tom and Michelle, both on their own, just how incredible uh, you are and were to Daniel and to them. So, um it's pretty awesome. Uh, last comment, sorry. Um, you know, but it's it's funny, you know. I, I remember Daniel. Daniel had, I tell you, he had uh, he had slick hands. Boy, he could handle that puck. And we had uh, we had him and Jordan and this other kid, Josh Mose, put together. I, it's the biggest line I've ever seen in Bantam hockey before. So they're a part of a, a great uh, great group that I certainly uh, um, certainly remember. Yeah, and I've heard, I unfortunately never had the chance to meet Daniel, but like I said, become close to their family and everybody that I talk to now, including you, has uh, commented on his nasty hands. So um, it's awesome to thank you for sharing that. And um, hello, Tom, Michelle. I think Lindsay, Daniel's sister, is watching with Zach and the kids as well. Um, Judy Oaks is also watching. She says, this is the best episode, Brady. As a billet mom for years, I wish coaches would take the time Every one of my young men has struggled and need a coach who will talk and most importantly, listen, alluding to what you were talking about earlier. Um, Ashley, echoing those words, coaches that take the time to know players are the coaches that will change the game. Um, a couple more here, Ted, and then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll let you go. And I think, you know, my dad was texting me, Ted, because my dad was this thing where episode 100, dad's got to come on. My dad's like, 
man, he's good. He's texting me during this about you. He's like, he's good. I don't know. I don't know if I can come on now. I'm like, dad, just five, <laughs> five minutes of your time. He's that's why I was looking down on my phone. I'm texting my dad. He's like, well, he's good. He's good. Um, Susan watching Susan, Harry Sinden's niece watching says excellent 100th episode. Love the content and on to see coach dad and sons coaching my boys in hockey has been better than getting to play hockey, watching them work hard and enjoy the game of hockey. Um, uh, like I do is truly amazing. He also says, thank you for sharing your story. My friend Brody also in Barry says, love hearing your opinion on coaching junior hockey and making sure the kids are in at night and helping them find the right direction. Uh, Lindsay Schmidt, Daniel Miner's sister watching is, says, wouldn't miss it. Great interview for your hundredth. Thank you, Lindsay. Thank you, Ted, for being so honest and sharing your inspirational story sorry if we didn't get to all of them guys i'll fire them off at the end of the show ted thank you so much for your time won't take up any more but i may bug you in the future to do this again if you don't mind perfect i'd love to uh yeah, yeah. no no question maybe we'll bring the other two on with us yes let's let's do that i would love that i would love that that would be a dream come true all right mr ted nolan thank you so much thank you to your beautiful wife for uh letting me bore you for the last hour and 20 minutes oh, and uh Take, take care of yourself, and uh, maybe we'll run into you soon around North Bay. Where are you currently? Uh, we live in a little place in uh, just just by Niagara Falls. Okay. Long story, I moved down here because my grandkids are down in this area now. They're, they're not coming back up north anytime soon, so we have to move down here to see them. So I got five. Uh, Brenda has three uh, three kids, two boys and a girl, and Jordan has two young girls. So wow. Move down and be, be close to them. Of course. you got to be close to them. I love it. Okay, Ted, we'll chat with you soon, man. Thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. All right, guys, that is Ted Nolan. Thank you so much, Mr. Nolan. And uh, I'm going to call him Mr. Nolan now that he's off the screen because I talked to him prior to the show and I was like, do I call you Mr. Nolan? He's like, Ted's fine. Ted's fine. I don't know where my dad is. I guess he's no showing us. So we'll turn it over. to pride tape quickly and we'll come back and wrap up the show i got lots of stuff i got to talk about anyways hockey to hell and back is brought to you by pride tape pride tape is a badge of support from teammates coaches parents and pros to young lgbtq players it shows every player that they belong playing the sport they love and that we're all on the same team show your support for teammates coaches and fans in the lgbtq community by wrapping your stick with pride tape every roll of tape will make an impact in sports and beyond inclusion starts with leadership check out some of the ideas of how you can get involved at youcanplayproject.org check out pride tape at pridetape.com for more information you can send an email to aubrey at pridetape.com that's A-U-B-R-E-E, Aubrey, at PrideTape.com. You can find PrideTape on Facebook.com slash PrideTape, on Twitter at PrideTape, and at PrideTape on Instagram. PrideTape thanks all of you for being champions for change. Thank you to our friends over at PrideTape. I want to apologize to everybody. Um, if you were watching on Facebook, the feed got disconnected. Uh, and now my account has been restricted for seven days. I'm not really sure why. I think it's because I copy and pasted uh, from the Three Nolans website and it said the word 
First Nation. And I'm thinking that that goes against community guidelines. So I apologize. Just copy and paste it from their website. Um, I think we're just going to do YouTube from now on. Too many problems with Facebook. My dad is backstage. He decided to join the show. I thought he was going to no-show us. So let's bring him in real quick. Episode 100. Welcome my dad to the show. What's going on, Pops? Uh, this game seven night here in both leagues. So I'm surprised you're broadcasting. But yeah, no, he, Ted was awesome. Well, yeah. How are you going to follow up Ted Nolan? I was, uh, full disclosure, I was uh, pretty nervous talking to him myself. But uh, if I remember correctly, you were a bit of a Ted Nolan fan when I was a kid, were you not? Uh, a little bit, yeah. I remember uh, I remember having, I, I remember there being some sort of picture of, of Ted, but we could talk about that some other time. Just wanted to touch base with you and, and maybe we can update everybody about, people keep asking me about, this trip home to Vancouver and what it was like, and I'm still trying to digest it all. I know Stuart's watching. Um, sorry, Stuart, I just saw your your comment now. Um, what was it like for you? Tell people. I'm not going to keep you too long, but seeing me after five years, what was that like? Well, were you even here? I hardly saw you. You were a busy guy when you were here. But it was pretty emotional that morning in front of Stuart's. Um, well, first of all, I was going to go knock on the door and I don't know if people gathered from the video, but you guys were playing street hockey in the cul-de-sac up the hill. What time was it at? Like eight in the morning? Yeah, eight in the morning on a weekday, but then you and Stuart both come racing around the corner like I... On rollerblades. <laughs> Stuart was first. Stuart was, uh, I think Stuart was more excited than I was, but um, pretty emotional. I actually am surprised that I didn't cry more. I, I cried more watching the video after um, but I'll be honest, it, it, it felt pretty nice for me because uh, obviously our relationship was tarnished for so many years, dating back to probably, I don't know, 2010 for sure, maybe a little bit before that. Um, and then not seeing you for five years and having gone through all this crap that I've gone through, it was it was pretty refreshing for me. It felt like I was kind of back in the space of 2010 when we used to go golfing all the time. What was it like for you? Um, it was different because we'd only talked and we hadn't seen each other and spent any time together. And, um, it was kind of exciting, but it, it healing a bit, I guess you could say. Very much so for me as well. Um, what about when I went down to Hastings street, the downtown East side, what was your initial thoughts on me going down there? And a lot of things you talked about doing and did when you were here that, well, like, again, you're going back to 2010, you didn't listen to me then, but it worked out for you going back there. Um, I wasn't worried about what you were going to do. I just was worried about the, what could have happened, but something you had to do and you did. And yeah. out here kind of freed me up for a lot of things because I drive around town or all over the lower mainland and I go, oh, that's where he was arrested or that's where he overdosed or that. And you were in the car with me, you were going by the same places and you're just on your own, oblivious to, didn't even bother you. So I guess I don't have to give a shit about those places anymore. <laughs> no, and, and, you know, you were uh, pretty... Uh patient with me too actually you you took me uh to some of the spots that were uh really trying especially surrey i don't talk about surrey a lot but we went out there and saw um that they've cleaned up the homeless population for the most part certainly where i was um 
And, and what a feeling that was to, and, and I didn't tell you this at the time, but um, there was one time when you drove past me on that street while I was homeless. And I still remember it so vividly. And I think I told you about it, but I didn't tell you it was on that street. And I just put my head down. And it was like the most, it was one of the hardest things that I ever had to do in my whole life. But I did it because I didn't want you to see me like that. And then when we were, it was pretty surreal to actually be in the car on that same street. And they've cleaned it up quite a bit. And like some of the stuff is there, but, and I'm sitting there with you now and I'm looking at some of these people who are, are really struggling with substance abuse and mental illness. And just to think that I was there not too long ago. And now um, my life is so much better. Um, and not only that, I was sitting there in your vehicle that you probably wouldn't even have let me into back then worried because of, you know, maybe what? Yeah, same car. Yeah, you're right. Well, you're getting a new car. You're getting a Cadillac sooner. You're not. I wish. <laughs> you wish. Um, any other any other uh, final thoughts on that? I don't. Uh, if anyone has any questions about any of this stuff for my dad or whatever, I just will wrap it up here. In, in it was a lot easier to put you on the plane going back this time than the last time. You were. You were still worried about me getting on that plane, which is, it's not a funny story, um, but bef this is the last thing we'll talk about here. And I kind of had that feeling because the last time my dad put me on a plane, um, I snuck to the, I thought he left, but he tricked me and uh, snuck around the corner and I went into the bathroom to use drugs and my dad, it was just me in the bathroom. And then my dad came flying in there going, what the hell are you doing in there? And of course I lied and everything else. And kept doing what I was doing because nothing was going to stop me. And it just, I remember seeing the look on your face. You were just like so devastated, so heartbroken. And, you know, I, it, it affected me. But at that time, the power of addiction was just so strong that nothing was going to stop me. So there we were, not the same airport, but a but different airport. And my dad, give, give, give you a hug goodbye. And you were not leaving until I went through security. <laughs> well, not because I was worried about you doing drugs, is that you were having too much, too much of a, it's not a good time, but you had lots more you wanted to do and you weren't in a hurry to get back, back home. You know, like you still had people you wanted to see and things you wanted to do, but your time was up, so. Yeah, and, and you know what, I, I there was always going to be more people to see and more stuff to do, but needed to get home to the kids and, and, and kind of figure out my life here. Um, but it was, it was just such a great experience to, to go home and get to see you and Bob and Louise and so many other uh, amazing people. Shout out Stuart for really helping make it happen and opening up his house to me for the first few nights. Um, pretty, pretty special moments, but I'll tell you what, dad, it's not going to be five years before I come home again. That's for damn sure. No, you, it'd be great to have you back, and I, I would like to get back there. It's just, I was all, had it planned, and then you came out, and then I was going to come out to the draft, and then, you, you don't know this, but last week when I came home from the draft, and I was found out we are going up to the lake, and so I had two suitcases beside the bed, and when you're old and you got to get up in the middle of the night, I tripped over the suitcase and broke a bunch of ribs, so. What? <laughs> so, yeah, so I've had to miss golf for a little bit, but I'm gonna try it again on Wednesday. All right, well, get get that golf game up and then come play Muskoka, Muskoka Bay Resort here in Gravenhurst. We got Taboo. There's some pretty amazing courses that I've never played. I've been waiting for you to come out here. So let's go get out here this summer. Okay. 
Okay, Dad, thanks for everything. Thanks for stopping by the show. Who who you got tonight in Game 7, New York or Carolina? What's the score anyways? It's probably almost over. Rangers right now, but Seattle's playing Camus tonight. Let's see who goes on. Go Blazers, go. Mark Hollick. Well, they're uh, hosting next year, too. Not sure Mark will be there next year, but that's all I'm going to say about that. Anyways, um, what is that? Pleasant. Go- is that Jim Robson? No, better. Who? I can't. Uh, I can't see Dan, anything. Who is it? Dan Russell. Ooh, Dan Russell sports talk. Yeah, he used to fall asleep to that. So I just every, every every single night and fully lied to you. <laughs> Just so I could sleep in bed. Like I was like 13 and I'd like sneak into bed with my dad and be like, yeah, we're just listening to sports talk. I just listen to sports radio. But really, I just wanted to be in bed with you too, just to, you know, that was what was going on there. But spent many of hours at night listening to sports talk, CKNW 98 in Vancouver. And funny story that you probably don't know. Do you remember at like the 10 o'clock and or sorry, yeah, 10 o'clock it would happen when it started and then again at 11 and then again at 12, they would always come on and do the news. It was like this this sound was like breaking news and it was always these stories of like crime and this happening and all this stuff. And it would just scare the living shit out of me. I would actually turn my, if I knew that it was coming to the news break, I would turn the volume down for like two minutes while they did their little thing. And then I'd turn it back up and be like, okay, we're talking hockey again. We're good. So um, little thing that maybe you didn't know. So anyways, good time. Send me the book when you're done. So this must be episode 200 now because I'm on every 50. There's the stack of books right there that you've already sent me. There's some up here too. So one more for the collection. Yes, this is like episode 174 actually, I think is what it is. So anyways, dad, I'm going to let you go. Go Blazers, go. Thanks for doing this. We'll see you on episode 200. Okay. Okay. Love you, dad. Talk to you later. Thanks. Thanks to my dad for uh, popping by the show. Um, Stuart, uh, Stuart watching Ted as the opening act and Brian to close the show. Awesome. What's up, Stuart? Hello to you and Allie out there in Abbotsford. Um, going a little bit long here. I actually kind of want to throw in the hockey game and, and see what happens. If you're listening to this on audio, you'll already know who won. Uh, I, couple things I want to cover if I can actually find my notes somewhere make sure I'm getting it all in there tonight Um, Kendra Fisher my friend Kendra she's been on the show I got to spend some time with her down in Etobicoke in Mimico in Toronto I'm working on a a longer video that I'm going to play here in the next couple days on my social media Um, she took me to Toronto Island We went rollerblading. We did 40 kilometers all around Toronto, and we even jumped in Lake Ontario. And if you're wondering why, it's for the Million Reasons Run, which is still going on, excuse me, for another 24 hours, 30 hours at this point. And it is to raise money for childhood illness right across Canada. The best way uh, to donate is to go to my social media page at mental health hockey click the link in my bio and it will take you uh to my link tree 
and there'll be a it's the second one down million reasons run even if it's just a small donation five dollars ten dollars whatever you can contribute for childhood illness would certainly appreciate it and i set a goal of 150 kilometers this month on my rollerblades and sadly i haven't even come close which for me is kind of unheard of i used to do 100 kilometers a day but with some weather stuff going on i was in bc a lot of stuff going on it has come down to the wire i have to rollerblade like 41 kilometers tomorrow to hit my goal and unless something drastic happens it's not going to stop me. I rollerbladed today 30 kilometers from Muskoka, Gravenhurst, sorry, Gravenhurst to Torrance to see my guy Taylor Sykes from Psycho and the Boys. You would have seen him on my social media quite a bit. Uh, through We met at the tournament, the On the Pond tournament. We shook hands at the opening ceremonies and became uh, brothers for, for life since then. Got to see him today, hang out at his cottage on the dock beautiful spot and uh, got to talk puck support if you don't know what puck support is I'm sure if you're watching this show you likely know what puck support is um, let me come back to that in a second let me stay on track here Kendra Fisher is going to be joining the show this is my ADHD brain concussion brain whatever you want to call it probably next Monday we haven't hammer down the date but we're going to talk all about the million reasons run um why it's so important to her uh we've hit our team goal for kilometers and for money i th think money for sure not sure of the kilometers maybe they're waiting for my 41 i'm not sure um but please think about donating to this great cause for childhood illness and this is not just physical illness this is mental illness as well for children so it's so 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 important everybody if you can please go to my social media instagram or tiktok at mental health hockey or tiktok at hockey to helen back the link is in my bio please donate um and we're going to hear from kendra fisher and why it's so important to her and what the experience was like for her over this last month make sure you follow her to kfisher30 on instagram all right let's try this again we'll rein it in Puck support, pucksupport.com. Pain is real, but so is hope. We have limited edition Canada Day hoodies on sale right now until June the 10th. Pre-order only. That's our friend April Humphreys rocking the Canada Day hoodie. There's me and in, in mine. We got Link in the youth, Hadley in the youth, our friend Joanna. And they've already started to ship. So we started to ship them out, but you can only order them until June 10th. Use promo code HOPE. It's going to save you a little bit of money. 2022 Canada Day hoodie. Once it's gone, it's gone. Never to be seen again. Pucksupport.com. Thank you to everyone who's ordered. We've sold quite a few Canadian edition Puck Support hoodies. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Things with puck support have not uh, progressed as fast as maybe I hoped when I first started doing it all. But we just cracked 4,000 followers on Instagram, which, listen, isn't a huge number. It's not 400,000 or 4 million. But when you're talking hockey, mental health, and especially addiction and substance abuse, when you try to mesh those three things together, I mean, 
I never really thought about it. I just did it. We did it. There's been quite a few people. It's not just me here by any means. Um, just did it with no idea how people were going to respond to it. And, you know, there's now 4,000 people following that page just on Instagram alone. And the majority of the people following the page have sent Puck support a message sharing their story or the story of someone that they love um, that is either no longer here or is still currently struggling. Puck support has helped create conversations that I will never see or hear about, right? It's just happening. People talking about their own struggles, talking about mental health, addiction, supporting one another. And it's just been incredible to sit back and watch beautiful people do beautiful things so thank you to everybody we are developing the nonprofit charity and we do we will implement programs and solutions to help support hockey players coaches and families with issues related to mental health and addiction it's just taking a little bit longer than i had originally hoped than we had originally hoped but it's happening it's happening we're going to need everyone's support it's going to take an army it's going to take the puck support army. My dad said I just send Kendra some money. Thanks, Dad. Luke watching says thanks for the reminder. Got to get my order in before June 10th. My guy Luke. There's the cup from Luke right there. That's the guy that gave me the cup. Luke B now out in Red Deer, no longer Kingston. Thank you for the cup. Thank you for watching. Anyways, guys, girls, that's it from me. Thank you to Ted Nolan. Thank you to my dad. Stay tuned for the next episode next Monday night. Likely Kendra Fisher, but we have some big guests lined up. We just got to hammer down the dates before I announce them, but I'm so excited. Episode 100 has come to a conclusion. Thank you. If you're watching on YouTube, please press that like button. Please subscribe. Please tell your friends if you're listening to audio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much. We still get more people listening than we do watching wherever you're taking this in. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Without this podcast, without people receiving this podcast and supporting me, I'm really not so sure I'm, I'm still alive today. I have no idea where my life would be if things would have went in a different direction, if I would have tried and it would have bombed and people would have been like, no, Brady. But that's not what happened. I received love and support. And for that, I am so, so, so grateful. Thank you for helping me get my life back. Thank you for the support. A hundred episodes of Hockey to Hell and Back. We'll see you for episode 101. Until then... Take care of each other and remember, make it a great day if you so choose. Grateful, oh yes,